This is episode 212 of the Beyond the Food Show, and today we have a guest, Aaron Flores, a registered dietitian, and together, me and him, we answer the question, but I need to lose weight. Ready for this? Stay tuned. Welcome to the Going to Beyond the Food Show. I'm Stephanie Dozier, clinical nutritionist and emotional eating expert, creator of the Going to Beyond the Food method and founder of the Going to Beyond the Food Academy. Corporate executive turned health expert with my own journey with weight, body image, and food. It's now my mission to help smart, successful women like you live confidently right now and unconditionally. Ready, sister? Let's do this. Hello, sisters. Stephanie, I'm so happy to be back with you. So just a quick note, I'm recording this episode using a brand new software that I've never used before, and literally I'm five minutes away from my deadline of submitting my file, and I'm learning to use this new software because the other one doesn't work. So this is how managing your mind is so important. Like if I look back, like... Even two years ago, I would have freaked out. Right now, I would have been like my shoulder would have been tense. I would have had my heartbeat racing. I would have imagined all kinds of bad outcome. And now I am able with the self-coaching techniques that I've learned and program myself to use and the one I'm teaching my student to just like have fun with this whole thing. It is so nice to be able to react in that way. So let's roll with the flow here. We're going to talk about weight loss. This episode of the podcast is the opening series of a weight loss series. It's going to be four episodes over the next two months where we're going to answer with expert guests the various questions that you have about weight loss. And the question, the title of the podcast today is, but I need to lose weight, because that's the question, no, not the question, but rather the pushback I get when I do consultation, for example. So people, when they want to work one-on-one with me, they have to book a consultation, because I want to make sure I'm the right fit for them. It's a more expensive program, and that I am the right fit for them, and, and they're the right fit for me, that we can do great work together before the investment is there. And that's like nine times out of ten, that is one of the caveats that the person will throw at me. They're like, yeah, I love your approach. I love your technique. I really need that. It's the whole comprehensive approach. But Stephanie, I'm special. I need to lose weight. And then that opens up the conversation for a longer conversation we're going to have on the podcast today. I think it's really going to be helpful for a lot of you that are believing that you cannot do the work of intuitive eating or body image until you've lost weight. And we go through that, me and Aaron, at the beginning of the podcast, that the belief that you have around weight loss is 100% normal, expected. There's nothing wrong about you because you're having this desire. We have been programmed, yet you and me, And anyone that was born, let's say, after the 1900 have been programmed by diet culture to want to be in a, quote, thin body. So it's not like something's broken into your mind. 
It's simply that you are responding to learned behavior. Then it's a choice. Like you can continue to respond to those learned behavior. Like you can listen to the podcast, what me and Heron have to say, and then you can still choose to want to lose weight, right? There's nothing wrong with that. That's your personal choices, right? That you are 100% allowed to make as a liberated, empowered woman in 2019. But you want to make that decision not because you feel that you have no choices, that you are powerless, but from a place of empowerment. So if you want to chase weight loss, you want to do it from a place of, yeah, I know. I know the side effect. I know the good stuff. I know the bad stuff. And I'm making a choice to do it, not because I don't feel good enough, but because that's my choice. And on the other end, you can say, you know what? Listen to you, made a choice, and weight loss is no longer what I want to do. Even though society is pressuring me, diet culture is pressuring me, the model on the cover of the magazine is not what's going to dictate the choices that I want to make in my life. That's what's called empowerment, right? Making a choice because of your own belief and your own choices. You are empowering yourself to not be the victim of what other people want for your life. If you listen to the podcast last week, that's going to be the thematic at Going Beyond the Food for 2020. Power, five-letter word that are going to drive everything we do. And that's why and how we created the Conquer 2020 and Thrive program, right? So just a quick reminder, if you want to work one-on-one with me in 2020, that is the program and you want to apply for it now, right? So when I work one-on-one with women, first caveat, when I work with women, I work long-term. It's a six-month minimum commitment because we do the real work, right? When, when I work one-on-one with you, we're going to go to the real root cause of your struggle. And the reality is, for most women, it's our disconnection with our own power. So Conquer and Tribe is a high-end, high-touch experience that's designed specifically to create that intense, rapid transformation for feminist, strong women, type A women, who are truly ready to invest themselves in a work at a deep level to transform their relationship with power, food, and body, and claim back their life. In that program, we're going to spend an entire month on mindset. We're going to spend an entire month on food, on body image, on relationship to self, and relationship to health. It's about conquering your self-sabotage, tapping into your power, growing emotionally, becoming emotionally intelligent woman, that's the reason why we're still stuck in diet culture. Not because of something wrong with us, it's because we are not connected to our emotion and we're the victim of our emotion, right? Just like I was explaining to you at the beginning, I'm in a very stressful situation right now with recording this podcast. I could literally, like be crumble. Oh my God, my podcast software is not working. What am I going to do? And then this engineer is waiting for me. I could be, and I was up to two years ago, a complete mess with those emotions. 
where now I've learned a system and a process which actually puts me back in the driver's seat of my emotion. I choose when I want to feel anxious. I choose when I want to feel sad because I know how to manage my mind, which drives my emotion. So all that to say that if you're interested in Conquer and Thrive, six months, inclusive, one-on-one program with me and a selected group of women. So this program is not for everyone. I'm only selecting 10 women that are going to work with me and this other group of 10 women for six months to conquer and thrive. So if that's an interest of yours, the link will be in the show note for you to fill up your application. First come, first serve. As soon as I filled up the 10 women, then the program is closed for 2020. So let's kick off this weight loss series here with my guest, Aaron Flores. And there's a very specific reason why I chose this man. First of all, it's a man. I'm having a man on the podcast. Do you guys remember the last time we had a guy? A long time ago. And the reason why I chose him, he is a nutrition expert, a dietitian in the United States, and he works specifically around this topic with his client from a male perspective. He does what I do, but for men. And many of you have done some work with me or are done the work with other people. They've come to this podcast and you're asking me for a resource for men, right? You want your partner, your boyfriend maybe to do this work. Aaron is your guy, right? That's what he specialized in with men. So I thought I would introduce him to you because he's my referral. If you're asking me for a referral for men, he's the guy. So we're going to talk about on the podcast why we have this deep desire to lose weight and what we can do about this desire. What is the option that we have in front of us and how to make a decision about weight loss considering why we want to lose weight, right? And if you're at that place right now, you're on the verge and you want more structure and helping you understand your why you want to lose weight, just want to remind you that we have a specific workshop created for that. It's called So You Want to Lose Weight. It's a 75-minute workshop that I created a year ago. You can take it at any time, and it's $29, and it's strictly focused on the desire to lose weight, and it's available anytime. You can go to the website, stephaniedozi.com slash lose weight, or the link will be in the show note, and that workshop is me going through some exercise with you. You do the exercise live with me. You have a workbook. It's a 10 or 15 pages workbook, and we work through your desire to lose weight where does it come from, and how to make a choice about it based on your current situation. What is the option in front of you? What about nutrition? We talk about all those angles. So I would recommend, if that's you, that you take that workshop. $29 is very affordable, and that's the reason why I made it so cheap, is that most of you can take it so you can make an educated decision, would I rather say, around weight loss. So, you ready, girls? Me and Aaron are going to tackle the question, so you want to lose weight? So let's move on to the interview, and I'll come back after. 
So welcome to the show, Aaron. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm very excited to have you on. I encountered you about a year ago in my own research, but I listened to you talk on an organization that we're both part of. And I'm like, I got to bring this person to my community so we can answer the question. But Stephanie, I need to lose weight. Yeah. Are you getting as often that like pushback from your client as I do? Almost every client. Yes. A hundred percent. It's a really common question. So first off, let's just validate Absolutely. that it's completely normal to have that question and come in to, and talk to someone who is coming in with a radically different approach. I think it's completely normal to say, yeah, but what about this weight issue that I've been struggling with maybe my entire life? So it's, I accept it. I sort of welcome it. I don't push it away at all. I think it's really important to talk about from the very start, and it probably needs to be discussed throughout our work together. Absolutely, because exactly what you just said, it's a radically different approach to mm-hmm. how I was raised and likely how you were raised until we came into this new field of a new perspective. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I agree. And that's the purpose of this episode here. I think it's going to become one of those cornerstone episodes on our library where I want people to be able to refer to mm-hmm. when they have this question for themselves. So let's yeah. hit it right off the bat. Yeah, yeah. Why do people feel they need to lose weight? From my perspective, and this is from doing this for, you know, working from this paradigm, from a health at every size paradigm and an intuitive eating paradigm, and we'll define those as we go, paradigm, I think the number one reason is weight stigma. And what I mean by that is people living in larger bodies or anything that they feel is outside of the norm, right, or acceptable, feels a really intense pressure to change their body to fit into the norm. And so we might experience this from a very early age. We might notice that at an early age, our parents change our food a little bit. Like maybe our brother or sister gets some amount of food and I might get a different amount of food based on my body size. We might see it at school where friends or not friends are going to bully us or say things about our body that feel hurtful. We might hear, again, at an early age, we might hear our parents say, very negative things about their body that sort of plant a seed that, hey, maybe this body that I have is not okay. And then as we grow up, we see stigma, weight stigma really throughout almost every facet of life. One of the ones I like to really focus on, especially as kids now are growing up, is there is really no representation of people in larger bodies in media, like in a, in a movie or in a TV show living their life where their narrative does not include losing weight, right? So really think about it. Like if you think about a character that you see on in a movie and they're living in a larger body, is weight loss somehow a part of that narrative or are they there just for a comedic purpose? And so if I'm that person living in a larger body and I'm watching the TV or the movies, I'm really saying like, well, the only way I'm allowed to exist in this world is if I'm trying to actively lose weight or I'm making fun of it. Hmm. I call that being a good fat person. Like I'm in the large body and 
and I'm a health practitioner, which I want to talk about in a, just later on. But yeah. when I present myself, if I say I'm on a diet, then I become a, it's okay to be a health practitioner because I'm working on not being fat. Right, right, exactly. And and throughout, there's good fatty syndrome all throughout yes. our, our behavior, right? I'm allowed to exist in this body if I'm working on changing it. Yes. Yeah. So I think, you know, weight, and again, weight stigma, like I said, it shows up everywhere. It shows up in employment. It shows up in our doctor's office. It shows up in our dietitian's office, our, our all healthcare providers office. It shows up in family systems. It's really everywhere. And it's almost so accepted that people just assume that it's okay to do it. So again, if we sort of look at why is weight loss and the drive for weight loss so strong, I think most people are going to sort of say the health aspect, but I'm going to go straight for weight stigma because it feels so uncomfortable to constantly be judged and evaluated and perceived as good or bad based on body size. And I'm going to throw a little bit of neuroscience into this because a lot of our program are based on that. But this programming that you refer to is hardwire as an instinct of survival. We want to be accepted by the tribe. Yes. This is not something we choose. Like, this is how we're wired as human. It's primal. Yeah. And the tribe right now, as we stand today is the thin ideal. Yes. Right? We need to be thin to be accepted. And if we're not, there's a risk of us being rejected. And women always say, well, fear of rejection is one of my biggest driver. And part of it is because you're wired this way. Yeah. It's well beyond your conscious awareness. Yeah. No, I agree. And I think this other part of this too is as a male, I'm a cisgendered male. I have male privilege, and I don't know what it's like for a woman to navigate this world. But what I do know from this work is that the pressure that females have and those who identify as female to conform to beauty standards is incredibly strong. And it also, it can't go unsaid, right? We need to sort of say that this is an important part that like for patriarchal systems have been set up where we basically see a woman's value based on what she looks like. And again, girls are seeing this from a very early age, and it's being hardwired a part of them, right? This is like being sort of reinforced through a lot of different things. So, of course, there's going to be this intense pressure to fit in. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to refer everyone that want to know more on this topic because we're going to move on. But Jess Baker, I interviewed her a couple months ago, and I'm going to link to that interview because she really deep dive into this whole aspect of our perception of our body and society and where it comes from. Yeah. So I would invite everyone to like, go listen to this. I think it was one hour interview was phenomenal with her. Yeah. She's great. Yes. And that's what she does. Like that's her specialty anyway. So moving on the other piece we get, but I need to lose weight is also, and I want to talk a little bit about this, the medical system. Mm -hmm. So women will often begin the work on body image and accepting themselves. And as they go for their checkup, they land in their doctor's office and the doctor says, but you have high blood pressure, you need to lose weight. So then they come back and they say, well, I can accept myself, but I need to lose weight medically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do you make up of that? Well, first off, I always recommend to my clients one thing. Yes. I say, when you go to the doctor and they say you have... X and they say the first answer is to lose weight is just to say, do people in smaller bodies also have high blood pressure? And if so, 
what advice do you give them? I'd love to hear that. And just sort of saying like, you know, what's that intervention, right? So that's number one. And that takes a lot of bravery for our clients. Again, because of weight stigma, they've been dehumanized in a lot of ways through our medical system. So it's very, it's a courageous act to stand up to our doctor. Yes. But it's okay to do it. And we have permission to do it, first off. Second of all is the thing I always come back to with my clients and even with doctors and and discussing all this is let's just go out on a limb and say, okay, weight loss is going to help. My problem with that is when we look at the research and the lived experience of our clients, we really see that nearly everyone regains weight after five years. So as an intervention, it really just doesn't work. Sustained weight loss is really almost unachievable. So we're prescribing something that really essentially over five years is not going to work. And what happens then is the client is left feeling like something's wrong with me. I just didn't work hard enough and I just didn't diet hard enough. And that internal narrative then cycles and it leads to further blame and shame. And again, this idea that, well, I'll try it again. Really, I will try it again and I'm just going to do it harder, more intensely. I just need to recommit. Maybe this plan didn't work. And I tell my clients all the time, you didn't fail the diet. The diet failed you. So we're giving an intervention that really doesn't work. And why I love this health at every size paradigm so much is because if we take really like to me, what's central about health at every size is this is let's look at taking care of ourselves and not make weight the focus. Hmm. If we just took the scale out of the equation, right? Took weight out of the equation. What kind of things do you think you need to do in your life to help you feel good? And you know, making a list like that beyond food and exercise really helps people get a really broad, colorful picture of what health might look like. And then it's like, okay, well, let's do some of these things. What, how would it feel to now engage in some of these? And what, what the research shows is when we do that, the biometrics that our doctors care so much about do improve without the number changing on the scale. So I'm a holistically trained practitioner mm-hmm. from the base and then came into the world of intuitive eating and health at every size. And that's what made me fall in love with health at every size is because it was a holistic practice of health. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Food was one element. And then we had to think about what's our emotional state, what's our mental state, what's our ability to manage emotions, stress, all of these things. And that's the beauty yeah. of health at every size. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I agree on many levels. So let's dive into health at every size, if you allow, because I know that's your specialty. That's one of the field that you are very knowledgeable in. Mm -hmm. What is health at every size for the average person? It's a great question. So most people will know it as a book that was written by Dr. Linda Bacon, but it's, it's much more than that. Health at every size has been a movement really since like the 80s and and maybe even roots past it. And it was developed and created by a group of people really as a rejection to diet culture. They saw the harm that it was doing to the individuals who were participating in diet culture, and it was born as a rejection to that. So I tend to call it like a movement, 
you know, and what I, I think the main things to wrap our heads around for health at every size is this, is that, like I said earlier, it's, it's taking the weight piece off of it. It's validating what we just already talked about weight stigma as an influence on our health and our influence in our society. And then the other key part, and this is where it becomes the reason health at every size lands for me is the holistic thing, but it's also the social justice component. And it's saying that we can't just look at the oppression of people in larger bodies in a silo. It occurs with other forms of oppression. And that, that could be, you know, that's gender-based, that's race-based, that's economic-based. So if we're looking at health, we can't just look at one thing like the number on the scale and the size of a body. We really need to zoom out holistically again and look at everything that's going to impact someone's health. How is trauma going to affect someone's health? How is socioeconomic status going to affect someone's health? How is constant sort of oppression through race, being in a larger body, gender diversity, how are all of those things going to impact our health? And you know, bringing those intersections into it is what I love about health at every size. And lastly is this, looking at how you know everyone gets to pursue health in their own way. <laughs> and they get to do that without judgment. So my job as a dietitian is to work with clients, help them find what is sustainable for them, and help them come up with their plan. It's not my plan. It's not you have to do this right? It's you get to choose whatever you want to do. And some people are going to be in their state. Like I think when you talk about coming to work with someone like us, who's radically different, there's going to be pushback, right? About like doing this. And I tell folks all the time, I go, that's okay. Let's like, my analogy is let's pull over. Like we're driving in the car, right? And let's like sit here for a while. Like we don't always have to be moving forward, right? And if we want to move back, we can. But like, how would it feel to just sit here and process this stuff and know that when you're ready, you can work on it however you feel like you need to work on it? To me, that's the beauty of health at every size is it allows for this non-judgmental, equal power dynamic between me and my client. That's beautiful. That's not seen in many other places. No, because the traditional medical system is very directive, right? There's, there's one way of the highway, right? Exactly. And if you're not there, then you're stigmatized because you're not collaborating, you're not yeah. helping yourself, all these judgments. Yeah, you're seen as non-compliant, which is like my like least favorite word I've ever heard. It's like, oh, they're non-compliant. Like, fuck you. Like, God, of course I'm non-compliant. You're making me feel like crap every time I come in here. Why would I why would I subject myself to this? And this is a, a more it's a very philosophical question, but and this is something that I've been very fortunate in my life, the way I was brought up, I always had agency for myself, I, I've always stood up for myself. But I find that this is what creates this relationship between patients and doctor in which the patient becomes submissive to the doctor in this figure of authority. Yeah. And then what's your perspective on that? Where does that come from? Well, 
I think it, it's patriarchy. First off, I mean, sure. most people in our medical field are men, or we perceive we we assume they're going to be men. Mm-hmm. You know, like I think that's where our gender bias comes in. We hear the word doctor, and we think of a man, and we probably think of a white man. Yes. So it's, I think, you know, I said power dynamics. I really feel like that is a big part of it. I think race again plays a big part of it. You know, of like who is giving this information. And then who is like receiving this information? I think if we even go wider than just the the doctor in the office, I think it goes to looking at what research gets funded. Yes. You know, really who's asking the questions and then who's a part of the research. And again, I think we see – I tend to see that more as a monoculture, right? Mm. Again, it's usually rich white men doing a lot of this work. And I think it leaves a big hole in answering and really just making sure we ask the right questions. There's a great book that I just finished reading called – I think it's called Invisible Women. And it's about the data bias in research around gender and how women are not even included in like the data gathering part of things and how we miss so many important things just because of that like one error that we assume, right? that the average is going to be the male average. So I think that's one part of it, right? I think the other part of why medical, this power dynamic exists is because, and I think this is partly because of diet culture really is, you know, through diet culture, we've lost connection with what our body really feels. And so we live up in our head, right? We live up in in our head and, and the stories that we're telling ourselves about how we feel, Instead of really connecting and given the permission and the, the training to connect to to our body's cues and what our body's telling us. And that's why I love intuitive eating because it is about sort of drowning out the noise, learning to listen to your body's cues around hunger, around fullness, and to honor things like satisfaction with food, right? To honor a craving. And I think we just have lost touch with that. So we look to someone else to tell us what to do. I'm like shaking my head. I'm like, yes, yes, that's exactly the power of intuitive eating. We first start with food, no choice, right? Anger, fullness, satisfaction. But then as you start living the intuitive eating way, we start developing a way of life that extends far beyond food. Oh, I agree 100%. We become agent for ourselves. We take back our power. That's why for me, intuitive eating is also a feminist movement. Because it reconnects us to our source of innate power, this innate wisdom that tells us food and, sure. and way beyond that. Sure. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that 100%. And I know most of the people listening are are female and most of your clients are female, but but we can also apply that sort of feminist theory, right, as a man, right, and for our partners who are male, right, yes. or, or our loved ones who are males, because Patriarchy affects males as well. You know, it's not just affecting females. So being a feminist, right, as a, as a man, right, helps sort of bring this context into this, that it is finding my voice as well, right? It's finding my male voice to say, hey, I'm allowed to feel things, right? I'm allowed to connect to those feelings, and I'm allowed to say it out loud so other people can hear it. And it doesn't change who I am as a man at all. I love that. 
and I'm not a very politically connected person, but is that in feminist term, we call that feminism. We call that melanism being in your emotion. I don't know. I would call it feminism as well. Like, I think it's, you know, I, I have friends who I don't have one, but like he says, you know, I have shirts and they wear them all the time. I'm a feminist, yes. you know, and, and yeah, you can be a feminist and male. It's okay. I love this. So, okay. So let's come back to health at every size. Health at every sure. size is what we call a weight neutral approach to health. Yeah. So it's a really interesting question. And and I think if you interview a hundred people and ask them that you might get a hundred different answers. Okay. So here's my answer to it. Okay. Is I choose not to use the word weight neutral anymore. Okay. And here's why when it comes to weight stigma and things like that, like I mentioned, you can hear that's where I, I come home to a lot is I can't be neutral about it. Like I'm, I'm going to take a side. You know, I know Jess Baker, who you, who you mentioned earlier, talks about body liberation, mm-hmm. right? And the folks, my mentors, Be Nourished in Portland, Oregon, Hillary Canavy and Dana Sturdivant, they talk about weight inclusive. Okay. So that's a word that I really like to think about, right, is how do I create an inclusive space around weight or, or discussion around weight? So what about the statement, I'd like to have you talk to this, health at yeah. every size isn't an anti-weight loss? It's anti-pursuit of weight loss. Yeah. And I, I would sort of go along with that as well. The, the way my language is, and again, this is one of the piece of trainings I have is a, I'm a certified body trust provider. And again, that's a, that's a training I received from Be Nourished over a year, right? It took about a year to go through this coursework that talked about weight stigma and health at every size, intuitive eating, all the things we're talking about. And again, the language from there is talking about informed consent. Hmm. And so if someone in my practice or who is working with me and says, I still want to lose weight, I go, okay, that's your choice. Like, let's talk about what that experience is going to be like for you. Let's talk about the pros and cons from that. Well, like, what, what do you think could happen a week, three weeks, six weeks, seven weeks, six months, one year down the road? What is your feeling going to be? What is your, you know, what do you think could happen? Will everything really be better when you're smaller or will all those things still be there? You just will have less weight stigma. And then if someone really wants to go ahead and lose weight or focus on weight loss, they can, but now they're choosing to, now they're informed about all the pluses and minuses, right? All the pros and cons. So yes, health at every size, it's not a weight loss tool. Right, you can't teach someone health at every size to help them lose weight. That's you're straddling two worlds that are diametrically opposed from each other. And I tell people, like, you know, listen, when you do this work with me, one of three things is going to happen: you're going to gain weight, you're going to lose weight, or it's going to stay the same. And where your body settles is not, I don't know. So if you do lose weight, right? Maybe it just means your body was at a higher weight than where it wanted to be. And if you do gain weight, it's your body telling you you were suppressing your weight and this is just where it wants to be. I think what's really damaging is in any program is the promise of weight loss or the goal of weight loss. Yeah. That's how I see it. Yes. And personally, I have a real problem when folks who talk about intuitive eating health at every size will also put on their website that they specialize in weight management or will somehow 
allude to this being a tool to lose weight. I also think that personally, again, just just me personally, for folks who are working with eating disorders mm. to also offer weight management in some form in their clinic or in their practice to me is unethical. I can't do that. I would never do that. But I understand. I think it all comes down to your first question, right? Is that people are so focused on weight loss that I think a lot of people, providers feel like they still need to appease that part of their client's needs instead of sitting with the uncomfortable conversation and naming fat phobia and weight bias and weight stigma. I agree 100%. And that's, and I'll go into a business piece of this, but that's why my business currently today doesn't make millions of dollars. Because if I have the tagline of weight management, weight loss at the end, mm -hmm. I probably would make a lot more money than I'm making today. Because today I'm saying to people, I get it, but I'm going to hold your hand to learn to be uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. And that doesn't sell as much. You know, but, but it's an interesting thing that I agree with a hundred percent. Yeah. And I remember Deb Brigard is one of the matriarchs of health at every yes. size and is brilliant. And everything she says, I seem to really need to like process and think about and internalize. And I was sort of lamenting on Facebook about clients firing me, right? Because things weren't working the way they wanted and, and just feeling like overall down about my practice. And she wrote something to the effect that like, this work is not for everyone, hmm. first off. And you might have less clients than someone else for a bunch of reasons. But the ones that are there, and when someone leaves, they're making space for someone who really does need this work. Yes. And that every time someone does say like, hey, I need to do something different that feels different for me, they're making a good choice for themselves, how they feel right then. We can honor that. But it's freeing up your work to really devote to someone who is maybe in a different place and ready to hear your message that's really valuable. And that's likely going to lead them towards a deeper, more healing transformation than yet another yeah. promise of weight loss. Right. That right. we know in five years, and that's always say to people, I said, perhaps it's not for you today and just keep my name because likely in a couple of years from now, you'll be back to that place again. And then maybe you can consider going beyond the food, right? And, and looking at other aspects of your health. Exactly. Yeah. If you allow me to explore this weight stigma. Sure. From a, a professional perspective, because that's one of the things we have in common as well. We are in bigger body and health providers, health practitioner whatever the term we may choose to have. What is your lived experience around that? Uh, that's a great question. Well, first off, I, I personally identify as fat and I will use the word all the time and people can refer to me as fat and I don't take it as any offense. You have permission to use that word with me. And it, that's my activism sort of role, right? Is trying to reclaim that word because that word holds so much power for so many people. And if we can sort of start to break that down, I think we can do some pretty cool work. But being a fat dietitian is really challenging, really challenging. I find that, well, one, there aren't many of us. No. There aren't many people who identify as fat and are dietitians, less so that are cisgendered male, 
also, and less so that work with eating disorders, disordered eating, or from a Hayes perspective. So that being said, I would say my tribe of people to sort of collaborate with in this area is pretty small. And it's partly why the body trust work that I've done and that I continue to do has been so important because it's allowed me to have a tribe. It's allowed me to have some colleagues, professionals who understand this. They might be in a very body diverse group, but they allow for the lived experience of the individual to be heard and seen. And so for my body trust people and a lot of people in my sort of inner circle within the eating disorder community are really, really welcoming and accepting and allow for for the lived experience to be shared. <laughs> the place where I feel much less comfortable is like just the regular dietitian sort of profession that's not focused on eating disorders. I personally like really won't go to that national conference by the time this airs, it will just have passed and everyone is like, oh, are you going? I was like, no, nah, I'm not going to that thing. And partly it's because I don't really feel that safe. I feel really uncomfortable in my body there. I feel like people are looking at me. I feel like people are judging me. And even at a big conference like that, right, anything like that can really bring us out of our body, right? So if it's when the seats are too close, right, and like I'm sitting in a seat and I'm sort of like touching the person next to me, right, or if I'm trying to navigate the convention hall – and it's just like spaces are really tight and I'm bumping into anyone. Or if I just look around, right, do I see anyone that looks like me? And I'm like – and it's like, no, nope, there's no one here that looks like me except for maybe the staff who's working the event. And so that's hard. To me, when I'm around dietitians like that, it's hard to be the only one represented that looks like me. So that's the professional part you know, a little bit. Just like you, I, I think my practice has grown at a slower rate because of my body size. But again, just like I, I listen to Deb's words a lot, and as I'm making that space is open for the clients who actually appreciate that I'm in a larger body for whatever reason, right? And we talk about it. So I think the interesting thing that it has allowed me to do is to bring up body size hmm. in our conversation very early. And so with a lot of my clients, I'm like, this is my body, right? You're sitting across from me in, in your body. If you ever want to talk about what my body size brings up for you and the work we're going to do, this is the place that you get to talk about it without judgment, right? Like you can say all the things that you are sort of thinking and let's talk about why you feel those. Instead of like saying like, nope, I don't disclose any of that. I don't share my story. BS. I'm sort of an open book. And whether that's right or wrong, people can judge me. That's fine. I do what's right that feels right in my office. And to me, sometimes disclosing that story of my body is going to be helpful for them to move past the stigma that they're seeing, right? Or the bias they're seeing in how they see my body and this work. I think that's beautiful. And that's, I want to echo everything that you say. And the place we both work from, from that place of experience around body image and around stigma mm -hmm. will allow for certain of our clients or certain of our patients to do the work whereby perhaps with a more normal size body expert, they would have not been able to do it. So yeah, through my journey, through my body, I see this as an opportunity to touch 
certain people that would have never been touched otherwise. I agree. I agree. And I think, you know, the other thing as I do bring up, as I said, listen, just because someone has thin privilege, right, the privilege of being thin and not knowing what it's like to navigate the world in a larger body, that's what privilege, thin privilege is, doesn't mean they can't provide empathy. No. And doesn't mean they can't center your lived experience. So, you know, I'm really thankful for the other folks in smaller bodies who have done a lot of work in this area, right, to help sort of name that also. So I tell my clients, like maybe my, this is my PSA to all of your listeners, right. Is find a practitioner who's willing to sort of name all these things, right. Really, it doesn't matter what size body they're in. They could do the work to name these things, right. And to center your lived experience over like what the textbook might say, right. I think that's when you find someone to partner with that feels like a partnership, really feels like a partnership. And that's the essential element to healing. I want to come back on thin privilege because as you were saying that in my head, it kind of connected back to our first question around weight loss and the medical, traditional medical world. Yeah. I think perhaps the reason why the average medical doctor, well, most of them will prescribe weight loss is because they live in a body that has naturally been thin their whole life and they have not done quote the work to understand their patient in front of them. Could that be part of the explanation? I mean, I think for sure. I mean, like, you know, if someone is, has lived, like you said, always has lived their life in a smaller body and has no experience with dieting or the really the torment (laughs) that comes with both being on a diet and then after you know, like the recommendation to lose weight is sort of like comes out like this. It really sounds like, I don't know why you don't just eat less. Simple, right? Right. It's so simple. Like I'm telling you, like it really, that's how it falls on us. It's like, I'm telling you what to do. Just eat less and move your body more. And here we are saying like, yo, I've tried that like five gajillion times and it doesn't work every time. It's almost like I wish we had a smart ass gene that we could like, like amplify, right? <laughs> Where someone says like, you know, you should just eat less and move more. I was like, no yeah. shit. Really? Is that the key? Cause I am 45 and no one has told me that yet. You've been holding out on the information for me for 45 fucking years. Right. I wish the smart ass in us would just come out and be like, no shit. Really? That's really what it is. I don't know. I think, yes, I think thin privilege is part of it for sure. I think, you know, there's just, I think there's a lot of privileges that show up in the medical field. And as you can tell, I could rant about this yeah. for hours. And, and I think it's pr- 10 privilege is a concept we have not explored a lot on this podcast. So I'm open to talk about this because people need to understand. And, and I work with many colleagues who have 10 privilege, and I would say vast majority of them don't even know what the concept is, A, mm-hmm. and then B, the difference when I start talking about tin privilege to my crowd of holistic practitioner and I explain mm-hmm. to them, they're like, oh shit, I never talked about, I never consciously was aware that that could be impacting my practice. Yeah. But tin privilege does impact our yeah. practice. And I think, again, to, to make it really simple for the folks yeah. listening, I'm going to speak from my lived experience is I had thin privilege, right? When I was in the throes of my disordered eating and all that stuff. 
right, because I have a history with that, is I was in a smaller body and I was suppressing my weight and I did have thin privilege. And listen, it's acknowledging that in a smaller body, things are easier for me. I don't see some things that someone in a larger body is going to experience. For example, getting on a plane is real easy. Right? I can just pick any seat. Usually I'm pretty comfortable. I'm not going to lean over and touch anyone. If I go to a restaurant and I go by myself, no one looks twice at what I'm eating. Hmm. Right? If I go to the gym, right, and I'm in a smaller body, no one walks by and gives me an attaboy, right? Or gives me a high five or keep it up, right? If I'm just walking around, I don't, I don't get unsolicited advice on what I'm buying at the supermarket. Okay. If I am traveling and I forget my swimsuit, I can go to any store and pick up a swimsuit. Not even a problem, right? There's going to be an on and on and on and on and on and on. I'm going to be able to maybe date a little bit easier, right? My family is going to be a little bit nicer to me in different ways. I'm going to get in the Uber and I'm not going to worry about the seatbelt closing in the back seat, right? We could talk about this for hours. But what I'm saying is that when you have thin privilege, you don't really see all of these things until it goes away. And then you're like, oh, this is what it's like. And part of, again, circling back to this question, why people want to lose weight is I think they want that privilege back. They don't want to stand out, right? They don't want people to sort of judge them and bring attention. They just want to sort of be able to navigate this world under the radar a little bit. And that's what thin privilege affords us. And for most people, we're not even conscious of the term and that we do have privilege. So perhaps all of our work here on this podcast, you and I, is to even understand the concept and bring it to people's awareness and let the seed be planted. So then they do their own realization of how their life is different and they can then more compassion for you. Exactly. And what, again, why I love health at every size, it's looking at all the privileges, right? It's not just body privilege. It's what's my, what's my gender privilege. What's my race privilege? Because, you know, as we work with this body liberation or body image, however we want to phrase it is we don't just show up with one thing. Right. So for all the folks listening, it's like thinking about what are all the intersections in my life? I'm not just fat. Right. Uh, me, Aaron. Right. I'm I'm cisgendered. I'm white. I'm born in Mexico. My parents are different races. You know, I'm Jewish. It's like all of this stuff comes into play. It affects who I am and my lived experience every day. And it affects how you practice and how you teach as well. And that's why. Yeah. I love your work and how you practice because you practice from a different lens, a different lived experience. Right. Yes. So I'm starting to wrap up because we are getting to the end of our hopefully less than an hour podcast <laughs> <laughs> because it's easier to consume. And I really want to get this message out to the world. So I want to come back to the original question. Mm hmm. Mm hmm but I need to lose weight. I think we've given you a bunch of tools, but what would be in your eyes, the next step for someone that has this concern, what would they do next? I think the very next step is to be curious about why. Okay. Really? I mean, it's just asking why. And a lot of this work is being open to what that answer is and that it's going to be not just one answer. 
it's going to be really multifactorial, right? There's going to be a lot of different influences. And the unique thing is that if we can look at all of those answers without judgment, we can make sustainable choices that feel right for us. So my key themes are curiosity and being non-judgmental, right? Let's start to ask questions and do things for our body, right, that focus on those things and see how they feel. And I think that's the next step for folks. One of the questions that comes up in my mind right now, and I hear that frequently, is that when I pause that solution in different terms, in my own term, but I say the same thing, we need to get curious, we need to reconnect, then the next pushback is, but that's a lot of work, Stephanie. Yeah. It's a, <laughs> it's a lot easier to just go on a diet. Yeah. So I love Star Wars. Okay, let me just say that. And I use Star Wars as a metaphor for a lot of things in my life and this work. And to put it simply, there's a quote in Star Wars where Luke is asking, like, is the dark side stronger? And the dark side to me is diet culture. Oh, good one. Right? And is the dark side stronger? And Yoda, right, the the master Jedi, says, no, it's just more seductive. And so when someone says that exact same thing to me, I say, yeah, of course it. this sounds easier. I'm asking you to lean in to some really uncomfortable conversations and, and knowing that those conversations ripple into all of facets of our lives. Yes. But if we can lean in, this is where the healing is. And so I validate your experience, right? Yes, this is going to be really hard and really uncomfortable but it's also where the healing is. And it's our, I think it's a beautiful way of closing the podcast because our weight can be the tool to which we will, what's the right word, that we will impose ourselves a lot of pain throughout our life or our weight can be the tool to which we unfold a beautiful life for ourselves because we will explore far beyond just what society wants us to explore. Yeah, I would agree completely. Thank you very much. Okay, so one more thing. So one of the reasons why I selected you to talk about this is because you are a male practitioner. And so let's talk about how you work with people and how can people take the next step with you. So I work with all genders, right? Perfect. I do find that folks like... Sometimes males like to work with other males. So, you know, males do work with me, cisgendered and trans males. And here's the interesting thing is I don't really change my messaging Yes. for men or women. It's the same language. I use the same language. I think it resonates with both. I think the, the nuance that might show up is talking about how masculinity has been sort of socialized into our lives. And I think that's an important thing to sort of unpack and about like what is masculine, right? What is not and how that comes in, especially around the idea of self-compassion. And that would be the one nuance that might feel a little bit different. (laughs) But I work with people virtually. I work with people in my office. I do this body trust work. I do offer men's groups throughout the year. My website is a great place to check out that information it's smashthewatriarchy.com. And from there, you can find me. I'm also on 
Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. I have the same handle. It's at Aaron Flores, RDN. And I also co-host a podcast with another dietitian. Her name is Glennis Oyston, a Canadian also. And that podcast is called Dietitians Unplugged. So if you're, if you like that, you know, hearing some of what, what I'm talking about, you might want to check out the podcast as well. Awesome. We will link to all of that in the show notes. It was an extreme pleasure to get to know you better and have this type of conversation with you. And I think you're going to touch a lot of my audience in their heart and answering that question. So thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been great talking to you. So there you have it, ladies. Did you enjoy the discussion as much as I enjoyed doing it? He's an amazing man and an amazing nutrition expert as well, just like me. So if you need somebody for your male counterpart in your life, Aaron is the man. And I have a few questions for you, a few exercises that I would like you to do, right? So if you're sitting with this interview right now and you find yourself asking the question, I want to lose weight, but I also want to become an intuitive eater. So here's four questions I want you to ask yourself. Where is the desire to lose weight coming from? Question number two, what do you feel will happen if you lose weight? Three, will you be treated differently if you lose weight? Will you accept yourself and feel worthy if you lose weight? Will you have a better life if you lose weight? These are the questions I want you to pick up your journal, journal around, get some really deep conscious awareness around your why behind your weight loss goal. And just a reminder, if you want more support around that, I would invite all of you to take the workshop So You Want to Lose Weight, spend 75 minutes with me in our workbook to help you further drill down around your why you want to lose weight, your dieting timeline, how you can approach food differently, and why you're gaining weight. Like, what is the reason behind that? What's the message from your body? And I hope that will help you. As always, if you can leave a review with the podcast, that would be very helpful for us to rank the podcast, which is doing very well Thanks to all of you who are doing the review for us. We're beating our records for the podcast consistently over the next two months. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Next step up in the weight loss series will be in two weeks where we're going to talk about set point. And I have a colleague of mine from Europe. Actually, it's England. His name is Chris Sandal. He is a top-ranked podcaster over in Europe, and he's an expert in set point. So we're going to talk about all the science behind set point, what it is, and what we should do about it. And then we also have an episode coming up on BMI and another one on weight stigma. Can't wait to unfold all this content with you. I love you, sister, and I look forward to hang out with you on the next episode.